Hi. I'm John Norton. <clears throat> Excuse me. Still suffering with a little bit of a cold, so I hope you'll forgive the frog in my throat. Um, but I'm uh, currently chairman of the Board of Elders, and we wanted to uh, bring to your attention where we stand on our facility expansion. As many of you know, uh, we have begun a project to expand this facility about six years ago now with a combination auditorium and recreation space over on the side of the church. Um, <clears throat> that process has been going on for six years. Um, it has uh, encountered a lot of difficulties. And in the fall, we appointed a task force to review the needs of the church because in the past six years we've been growing and uh, this facility has, excuse me, this task force has uh, looked at our needs, looked at our growth and has come up with some recommendations uh, which they put before the church and the board of elders back in uh, November. They've looked at four options for uh, handling our growth. We dismissed as well. And uh, you can go through the door over here. Would the rest of you open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. It's on page uh, 733, if you're using one of those pew Bibles. Isaiah, chapter 55, page 733. At the end of the service, we're taking up a special collection. It'll be the Pastoral Snowblower Fund. And, uh, and I about snapped this week when I was out there shoveling. I said, that's it. Uh, but you know, the, the cool thing about the blizzard is people are... It's weird. People are different. They, they're nice. They like wave at each other during the blizzard. They come help each other. It's almost like... I don't know. You're in the Midwest. I mean, it's really... <laughs> weird. Thank goodness we're back to normal. I, I just feel better. But uh, Isaiah chapter 55. And today we're looking at uh, verses 1 through 5. It's on page 7. What did I say? 55 if you're using one of those pew Bibles. I do encourage you to follow along in your own Bible. Isaiah 55 verses 1 to 5. Come, all you who are thirsty... Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the people, a leader and commander of the people. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that you do not know will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Isaiah uh, chapter 55 is the final installment in a three-chapter trilogy. 
chapter 53, chapter 54, chapter 55. They all fit together as a thematic unit. Uh, chapter 53, if you remember, uh, three, about three weeks ago we studied, was about the suffering servant. You remember that? We talked about the, the Messiah who comes and who suffers on behalf of his people. He's the substitute sufferer. He it pays for our sins on the cross, Christ does. And that was 53. And then in 54, which was two weeks ago, the week before the blizzard, we looked at the uh, nature of the salvation procured by the servant. So we saw that it was an everlasting covenant of love, that because of what Jesus does, there is now available to his people an everlasting, unshakable, unbreakable, eternal covenant of love toward God's people, that they will never again be judged and cast aside, as under the old covenant with Moses. Well, chapter 55 is the final installment, and it's the kind of the, the so what chapter. So what are we supposed to do about this? How do we respond to what God has done in chapter 53 and chapter 54? Uh, because God has sent His servant, the Messiah, to suffer for us, and because the Messiah has procured this eternal, incredible salvation, what should we do in response? How should we live differently? What should be our reaction? And the answer comes in chapter 55, verse 1. One simple word. Come! That's it. Come on! Come and get it! That's the answer. What are you waiting for? Come! In fact, it's four times. Come, all you who are thirsty. Two, come to the waters. And you who have no money. Three, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. It's just... Get over here. What are you waiting for? Come. Come and get it. That's what we should do. That's our response to Jesus Christ. It's very simple. Get over here. Get some. Here it is. Come to the waters. All you who are thirsty. See that? So there's a beautiful picture here of of water as salvation. And this is a common biblical image uh, to, to to portray God's salvation as is like a spring or an oasis. And this, of course, would have been very fitting in the Middle East, which is a very arid climate, as you know. Uh, you know, around here, we've got water to spare. We've got water piled up on the streets. I live in Norwell. Norwell's basically a swamp with a few high points of ground in it. It's water you know, everywhere, tons of water. We have, uh, turn on our faucets, water comes out. You go to the you know, stop and shop, and there's a whole aisle of water in bottles. So, so I think maybe the, the punch of this is lost a little bit on us who are swimming in water. But remember, in those days, they didn't have that kind of water necessarily. There wasn't running water. They had to dig holes in the ground and wait for rain to fill them up. They had to dig cisterns. They had to dig wells. And so those people probably had a more common experience of being really, really thirsty. Now, I was trying to remember the last time I was really thirsty, and I can't really remember. I've been a little bit thirsty, but they were probably used to being really thirsty on a regular basis. Uh, if you wanted to go on a journey in those days, you had best know where the wells were and where the oases were and the water holes, or otherwise you could be in big trouble as you tried to travel from point A to point B. So what a beautiful symbol of salvation as water, life-giving water. Come, all you who are thirsty, Come to the waters. And so the picture here is that without God, we are dying of thirst. We are suffering for a lack of essential life-giving waters. That that's what God gives in His salvation. That through His forgiveness of our sins, by reconciling Himself to us, it's like being a thirsty person and doing the nest tea plunge. For those of you who are old enough to remember that. 
into a pool of water and just letting the water fill, fall over you. Uh, when I read this, Come to the Waters, it made me think of a time when I was in high school. I grew up, uh, as many of you know, in Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, Las Vegas is a desert. It's a very arid place. And uh, I, I was uh, a freshman year high school. I, I ran cross country, which is pretty foolish. Cross country is a foolish sport. I, I don't know why any of us do it. You know, when you're running, you, you, even when you're running, you don't know why you're running, but you just run. And, and it's even more foolish in Nevada because uh, you start your training in late August where it can still easily be 105, 110, just blazing hot. And, of course, we'd practice right after school got out, so that's about 3 in the afternoon. Hasn't quite cooled off yet, to say the least. And then we just go out and run. And, and I remember we had this big coach. He was an ex-Green Beret, Coach Huggins. He's just a, just a monster of a man. And he'd just drive us in the desert on a road, drop us off, and be like, run back to school. And <laughs> then he'd drive off and leave us. And, and, I, and you know, when you're running in the, in the desert on the asphalt, the, the asphalt heats up so much that... I don't know, I didn't stick a thermometer in it, but it must be 120, 130. I mean, your, your feet actually get hot. It, you know, like when you touch something hot and you're like, ah, it's how your feet are, except you can't get rid of it. You just keep running and, and your feet heat up. It's so hot. Cars are going by, you're sucking their exhaust. And I remember this one time I, I was running back to town and I just got over the, the edge of town and I think I was in the beginning stages of heat exhaustion. You know, I don't know, I never talked to a doctor or anything, but I, I, I was disoriented. My, my head was swimming. Uh, I, I think I stopped sweating. My skin got all clammy. And then I started getting the tunnel vision, you know, like the little thing. Just like stars and then just a little tunnel. And so I'm, you know, running down the road and it's just all happening to me. And I'm like, this is, I know this is not good. And then uh, over to my left, there was the A&W in town. You guys don't have A&Ws. It's like a, it's like a fast food place. A&W root beer. It's a fast food place. A&W Root Beer Float is the best. And I was, uh, and so I see the A&W, I knew they had a water fountain in there. And so I, I run across the road, four lanes of traffic, you know, and I'm like staggering. <laughs> I, I get to the doors of the A&W, and, and I remember grabbing them and sort of throwing them open. And I think it's one of like the old western when the guy comes into the saloon, and I'm standing there, tumbleweed blows in, <laughs> and I'm... And everyone's looking at me like, what on earth is this? And, you know, I'm covered with my own spit and sweat and, you know, salt all over you because you, in the desert you sweat and it dries, you get salt all over you. You just look horrible. And I'm, and, but I'm just tunnel vision looking for the water fountain. Like, you know, where is it? And I finally see it, you know, and it's one of these slow-mo scenes from a movie. Like, and I grabbed the water fountain and it just tasted so good. Splashing water on my face, just getting that water and it was like you could just feel life going back in you. I, I felt like I was dying. And then the, the water just instantly brings you back to life. That's a picture of our spiritual condition without Christ. We are dying in our sins. And we are on the way down. And we, have, we cannot supply our needs. We need an external source to save us. And we need the water that God provides we, we are all dying in sin. We are all sinful people. There's no one who can recommend themselves to God and say, you know, I've done the task, God. We haven't. We failed, all of us. And so we need the provision that God gives, which is His living water. And fortunately, God says, Come! Hey, it's over here. Here's the NW, free water fountain. And, and notice the emphasis on the freeness of this salvation. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, 
Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. I'm sure that's grape juice. I'm sure it's not real wine, folks. Uh, <clears throat> without honey, without money and without cost. So there's kind of this funny wordplay here. Buy without money. Uh, purchase without cost. This sort of funny thing going on here. You can get it. You can go on the shopping spree and it's great. It doesn't cost a cent. So just go shopping without money. It's free. God's salvation is a free gift. You don't have to spend a cent. It's not like during the Middle Ages when you bought indulgences from the priest, you know, and, and he would say, if you give me X amount of money, your Uncle Fred will get out of purgatory. It's not like today when the Protestant TV evangelist says, just send me $50 and you'll have your breakthrough. <laughs> just a hint. If anyone says that, just hit the channel, you know, watch The Simpsons or anything else besides that. It's free. You, you don't have to purchase it. You don't have to spend money for it. This salvation cannot be earned through the, the currency of our morality. We can't uh, be a good enough person to get God's salvation. If so, Christ would not have had to have died for us. It's free salvation. Uh, you, you can't get it through any religious ritual. Being baptized as an infant or going to vacation Bible school or confirmation or being baptized as an adult. Or, there's no ritual of the church that, or that guarantees that you will get this salvation. It is a free gift. I mean, this, the emphasis is on free here. It's free. You're like, what do I need to do then? And the answer is just come and get it. Just come. Come, come, come. Every, over and over in this passage. God's salvation is a free gift. And there's nothing that we do to earn it, to, to work for it, to merit it. It's just given to us freely. It's like that water fountain in A&W. You just got to go across the street, open the door, and get it. No one's going to make you pay for it. No one's going to ask you how you look. You just got to get the water. God's salvation is free. It's free. And the ironic thing, this is where it's so crazy, is that even though God's salvation is totally free, and there's nothing we have to do to work for it or earn it, yet... I consistently reject it. And not only do I, do I turn away from it, but I consistently s spend my resources and spend my money on other things that don't actually satisfy nor save. That's the funny thing. The greatest thing that there is to have my sins forgiven, to know the Father through the Son and be filled up with the Holy Spirit, to enter into community with the triune God, and that is available free, and yet I consistently look to other things that cost me money, cost me time, cost me energy. It's just so weird. Like he says in verse 2, Why spend money on what is not bread? On your labor, on what does not satisfy. This doesn't make any sense. And yet that's my nature. I do that. I go for things that don't satisfy. You know, we look at money, at a food and Things that we put into our bodies to satisfy. Can you go on a cruise? Oh, this cruise is going to be great. I'm just going to eat and eat and eat and eat. And you go on the cruise and you eat and eat and eat and you get off the cruise and like, you know, that afternoon you're hungry again. It's just all, it's all gone. The satisfaction from those just heaps of food is, is disappeared. Or, or, you, or you drink, you, you get, uh, get drunk or you use drugs, you know, put something in your body to give you satisfaction. And it does for, you know, a little period of time. Kind of. And then you get sober. And then you come off the high. 
And then you have to, you know, the whole thing about drugs, you have to get a stronger high to make the, up to the last high. It's a physiological phenomena. And so you're trapped in the cycle of dependency where you crave more and more knowing that it will satisfy less and less. Uh, or sometimes it's uh, material things. I mean, certainly we're all guilty of this. We live in America. We've been conditioned as consumers to, to always think that the next upgrade is going to be it. You, you spend your money, you do your research, you finally get the 19-foot boat. You're driving out of the harbor on the maiden voyage, and the guy's coming in with the 25-foot boat. And you're going, oh, <laughs> honey, I've got, I got to get the 25. And you haven't even gone out with it yet. You know, I, I'm in the 2000 model, and someone's driving the 2005, and I want the 2005 model. And uh, I just get my 5.1 surround sound hooked up, and then I see there's 6.1. And I'm like, oh, six, six point one. I gotta get six point one. Uh, you know, you look at your wardrobe, and you're like, oh, my clothes—they're so 2004. You know, I need, <laughs> I, I need the new model. I mean, look at this magazine. That's not what my clothes look like. I have to stay up with it. And, and there's this insatiable desire for more and more, and, and it just never does it. It, it never satisfies. I mean, a little bit. It's always nice to get new things, and we enjoy them. But it's so amazing how quickly I'm off scanning the horizon for the next whatever. And, and so I know it doesn't satisfy. We, we pour out the substance of our lives, our, uh, our mental energies, our emotional energies. We sacrifice family. We sacrifice time for careers and for um, hobbies and whatever. And, you know, they may be good enough themselves, but we put so much emphasis on them and, and they never satisfy. And then you finally get the the career and you finally get to the top of the ladder then you look around and there's no one there with you because you sort of had to leave them all behind to get there you know what's that all about it doesn't satisfy like he says here why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy i can't get no satisfaction and i try and i try and i try and I try. Come on. I can't get no. No, no, no. Yeah. I bet that's the first time we ever sang that as a congregation. That was, it just it doesn't satisfy. Uh, and at some point, I have to realize that it's, uh, it's just it, it's bad food. That's the problem. It's, I'm eating in the wrong place. And it's, you know, one of the perks of growing up in Las Vegas is all the buffets. And it's, it's normal. I mean, you know, it's just a normal thing. When you're a kid, you, go, you walk through a casino and you go to a buffet because they have really good, expansive food at these buffets. And, but, you know, not all buffets are created equal. And my family would, for some reason, would always take us to this local buffet. It was at the Gold Strike Casino. And uh, it, it was just bad food. I mean, I don't know... It, you know, at first, like, you think, well, I just got a bad dish. And then you think that, you know, there's another bad dish or something. And so you keep, oh, someone's cell phone's on. Better answer it. I'm going to talk to him. And uh, <laughs> so there's another, another bad dish. You try all these bad dishes of food. And, and then after a while, you know, my sister and I, we were little kids, we started to realize there's no good dish there. It's just bad buffet. Sometimes you just have to realize, bad buffet. <laughs> it's just not good. Right. I mean, I, this, is, this is not an exaggeration. I remember one time my parents telling Jill and me that we had to go to Gold Strike to eat buffet, and we both cried. 
We, <laughs> we're like, Wah! we're throwing ourselves on the ground and, uh, you know, bad buffet. You have to realize that. And, and that's how it is. You know, at some point, I just have to realize as I look around at the world menu, you know what it is. Bad buffet. It's not that I haven't found the right thing yet. It's that I'm, on the, I'm at the wrong buffet. And God's like, yo, come. Free buffet that really satisfies, that really saves. And, and I have to somehow realize that and go to, to what God has for me. And that's what God says. I mean, look, he, he invites us to his buffet. Look at the other half of verse 2. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. Good buffet. And your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me. And your soul may live. Only God saves and only God satisfies. Only God fills. Uh, to f- quote that famous line, I'm sure you've heard it many times before, by the French uh, mathematician Blaise Pascal. He said, within every person there is a God-shaped vacuum. There's a God hole in me. And whenever I try to stuff it with anything else, it's like the little kids' toys where you have the little square and you try to put the circle in it and it just doesn't fit. There's only one thing that can fill it, and that's God himself and the salvation he brings. And then notice in verse 3, we come full circle. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. That's Isaiah 54. And then he goes, my faithful love promised to David. So now here's a hint at the, the Davidic Messiah, and that takes us back to 53. So the salvation, this wonderful living waters that truly save, that truly forgive, that truly satisfy, are only available through the covenant that comes through the Messiah. It's through the Son of David that this, this covenant comes. And it makes me think of the times when Jesus offered salvation and he used this water imagery in the New Testament. Uh, sometimes I think clearly echoing Isaiah 55. So I, let's just look at a few of those. So if you can bookmark Isaiah 55... Because we need to come back and read verse 5. We haven't looked at verse 5 yet. So we're going to come back. Put a little bookmark here in 55. And turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. It's on page 1053. If you're using a pew Bible. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 13. I just want to read three little sections of John. I'm not really going to comment on them. I'm not going to preach on them. I just want you to hear it. Just hear Jesus speaking to us and inviting us to come. Hear, hear Isaiah 55 through the mouth of the Messiah as he speaks these words to you and to me right now. There's John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Or John chapter 6, verse 35. John chapter 6, verse 35. The famous bread of life discourse. Jesus says in John 6.35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty.
or John chapter 7. It's the last one, verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing these words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the Scripture say the Christ will come from David's family? And from Bethlehem, the town where David lived, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. So where do we stand? Where are we in that crowd? Where are you with Jesus? Jesus is telling us the same message. Come! Come! Come to me if you're thirsty. Believe in me. You know, where are you? Have you ever come to a place of putting your faith in Christ as your Savior? And I want to be really clear about this. I'm asking about Jesus. Have you come to believe in Christ as the Son of God, to trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and exclude trust in anything else? To say there is one water fountain, and I want it. I want Christ. I'm not asking... I just want to be really clear here. I'm not asking, have you ever been to church? Have you ever come to church? I mean, you're obviously here, so I know the answer to that. I'm not asking, did you grow up in a church? I'm not asking, are you trying to be a nice person? I'm saying, have you come to Christ? Because He is the living water. He Himself. Do you have Christ? And if you haven't, you know, like, what's holding you back, man? Come, come and get it. Why won't you come to Christ and put your faith in Him? Are you worried what people are going to think of you? I mean, I know that's kind of a concern. Like if I believe in Jesus, are all the people I know going to think I've whacked out and become a religious fanatic, got sucked into some weird cult, and, uh, well, you're a holy roller now, you're too good for us, and you know, people are going to reject you. Are you worried about what people in the church are going to say? Like, oh, finally, you became a Christian. We've been praying for you for 20 years. <laughs> you know, no one wants to be gloated over like that. Maybe it's sort of a pride thing, and... I don't know, I guess I'd have to say it's just, who cares? Look, you're dying of thirst. This is not a time to be worried about what you look like, what people think of you. This is a time to set your tunnel vision on Christ and go directly to Him. Do not pass go. Do not stop at the world buffet. Do not care what anyone thinks about you. Push it aside and go to Christ. Because only in Christ is there salvation. Do you have Him? And if the answer is, I don't know, then let me tell you, the mission from now until you get the answer is yes, is to get that answer yes. Is to seek Christ, to pray to Him, to call out to Him, to cry out for Christ to save you. And He will. Because it's free. Anyone who comes can receive the waters that Christ has. But it's not just for uh, those who, who haven't ever come to Christ. I think this passes just as much for us as Christians. The call to keep coming to Christ. You know, he's the good shepherd. He's led us to streams of living water. But hey, I'm a stray sheep. And I keep, for some reason, I keep getting this weird idea that maybe there might be something on the world buffet after all. And I keep going, just a minute, Jesus. I, 
I think they have a new entree. I'm just going to check it out. You know, and I, I go back and then, no, it's bad, and I repent and I come back. But, but it's hard to stay focused on Christ. You know, do you think when you become a Christian that Satan gives up on you? You're like, well, I lost that one. Well, forget it. No, man, he, he, comes, he hits harder. He's like those insurgents in Iraq. They just keep hitting harder. They just keep coming after us. And, and yeah, you can gain victory over Satan, but he's not going to give up. He's ruthless. I, I had such a vivid experience of this this week. I have, this story was just amazing, uh, at, at least to me. It, it sort of fit into this whole text and this whole sermon. I went to Indianapolis this week, which was... There's not much in Indianapolis. I was at a conference. The great thing, though, was every time I met someone like the guy behind the desk or whatever, I'd say, hey, how about them Colts? And, <laughs> Yeah. Just sharing the love of Jesus all over. <laughs> it was awesome. So, uh, you got to pray for Indianapolis. They're like in big, bad shape. So, uh, I, uh, but anyway, I, I was at this conference and I forgot that one of our missionaries that we support, Sean Keith, some of you know him. He's one of our missionaries, Sean and his wife Elizabeth. He actually became a Christian at our church, which was really cool. And then he. Uh, was sent out eventually as a missionary from our church. So we got to see him go from point A all the way to being a missionary, and now he's going out telling others about Jesus, and it's really cool. But anyway, I forgot that he had just recently moved to Indianapolis. I knew he moved, but I didn't know it was to there. And, and by a providential turn of events, he called the church office for me on, a, on Friday, said, hey, is Jeremy there? And she said, the secretary said, no, he's in Indianapolis. And he's like, what? And so he calls me up. He's like, I'm 20 minutes away, and you didn't give me a call. And so... You know, we, we got together, and Sean's a really cool guy. So we, we went out to one of these little malls and just had a Coke or whatever. This uh, Johnny Rockets, you know, we had one of these at the Braintree Mall. And we're sitting there eating, and, and, you know, we're talking about our ministry, what's going on in ministry, and he's sharing about his ministry. He's doing this really cool thing. He, he's with this group called Athletes in Action. They're making a DVD interviewing uh, Red Sox players who are Christians. And they're telling their testimony, and it's going to be sort of a presentation of the gospel on a DVD. And he wants to market these, uh, produce them, and then at, on opening day at Fenway this year, he just wants to hand them out to everybody. So it's a really cool idea. If it, so if anyone wants to know about that, he's looking for some financial backers, so if I could just put in a word for him. But anyway, it's uh, a cool idea he has. So we're talking about ministry, what he's doing. And then it's like we've, we go to that next level in the spiritual conversation where we get past what are you doing to, like, where are you at? And, and it was, he said, you know, Jeremy, he's, I just... He goes, I've been really wanting lately to really know God more. He says, I'm doing a lot of stuff for him, and I know a lot of the truth, but I just want to have a deeper experiential knowledge of God. And it was so cool, because the night before, I had been reading some stuff, uh, reading this book, and, and I started praying the same thing, just sitting there praying to know God more. And I was like, wow, I've just been thinking that myself. And we, we just started getting into this stuff about longing to know Christ more, longing to be closer to Christ, really opening up our, our lives to each other. And instantly, I kid you not, the, the background music in the, the restaurant got really loud. In fact, it got so loud that I couldn't hear him. It was like being at a party where you're like, hey, it was so loud. And, and not only did the music crank, it was Saturday Night Fever. Ba-da-ba-bum. I'm not going to sing that. So, uh, it just started bumping this disco. And then from behind the counter, I kid you not, three waitresses come out, stand right by our booth, facing us. I mean, I could have gone like this and grabbed one of them. They were so close. Three college-age girls, and they start dancing, facing us. Doing this thing. And they're doing this. And you know... 
<laughs> I couldn't believe it. And I looked at Sean and I said, Sean! He's like, what? I'm like, this is satanic. <laughs> that is satanic. That is so how Satan works. The second you start getting serious about your faith and wanting to know Christ more and wanting to follow Him more, Satan, he's not going to give up. He's going to throw it at you harder. He's going to be like, oh yeah, you forgot about this. What about that greed? What about this lust? What about that aspiration? What about this rage? You know, you, you know try the buffet. He's going to try to put new menus on. He's going to change the, the menu bar. He's going to try to tempt you back to it. And, and so following Christ is hazardous. It's a full contact sport. And, and it's not to be attempted with your eyes shut. You have to go in knowing that if you're going to go to the living waters as a Christian, Satan is going to pound you. Attempt to anyway. But greater is he who's in us than he is in the world. So, you know, he's going to lose, but you've got to fight back. That's the thing. You've got to take advantage of the power you have in Christ. Otherwise, you are just, you know, you're toast. But if you do, you can resist. And so we just sat there and laughed. And I forgot how long that song was, man. That's a long song. <laughs> Am I as a Christian? Here's the second. First question was, if you haven't come to Christ, why don't you come? Second question is, if you're a Christian, is there anything that's come into your life lately that's kept you from Christ? That's consumed your thoughts, your emotions, your dreams? Is there anything that you're dining on that you know you shouldn't be and you should be feeding on Christ? It's time to come back to Him. Come back. Come to the waters. You know where they are. Drink again. And then the cool thing is that as we come to Christ, whether for the first time or coming again, He then not only fills us up with Him, those living waters not only fill us up, but then they begin to pour out and we start wanting to tell others about Him. And we become uh, evangelists. We become people standing there with Jesus saying, Come, come. We start calling out to others. Now go back to Isaiah 55.5. Let me just read that last verse. Look how this passage ends. We take up the call. Verse 5. Surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations that you do not know will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. God wants to take me from being a tired, thirsty, worldly, buffet person and fill me up with Christ and then use me as a herald to call others to Jesus. I know you get into the topic of evangelism and everyone's like, evangelism, <laughs> that's not my thing. And It's none of our things. It's not natural for anybody to be an evangelist. It, but, but the first step in becoming an evangelist is to be filled up with Jesus yourself. Because once you're filled up with Christ, you just want to tell, you, you tell people about stuff that's good. Oh, I went to P.F. Chang's this week. You ever been to P.F. Chang's? You've got to go to P.F. Chang's, P.F. Chang's, P.F. Chang's. And, and, you know, or, oh, I went to you know, the Outback. It was great. Have you ever been to the Outback? And once you're filled up with good fare, you want to tell other people. When you're filled up with Christ, it'll be more organic and natural. But not only will you tell others about Christ, but but you'll begin to have a global vision for the message of come and tell. See, this message is so big, this water is so abundant, it's so free, that we've got to tell the whole world. 
You have to summon nations that you never heard of. You need to be... I start becoming concerned about people groups I never even knew. Tribes in western Afghanistan and people in, you know, Borneo that I've never heard of. Tribal peoples who've never heard the name of Jesus. But it's like, man, someone's got to tell them, come. And as you're filled up with the life of Christ, you'll start caring about that. That's the secret to missions, is being filled up with the life of Christ. So that when the missionary speaker comes in a couple weeks in a missions conference, instead of just kind of tuning out, you start find yourself leaning forward in the pew. Really? What is happening in, in Turkey? And what is, how's the gospel doing there? And, and not only that, when you watch the news and see you know, Iraq, it's not just like, oh man, boy, it stinks to be in Iraq. You'll start praying, Lord, bring freedom to Iraq. Bring freedom for the gospel in Iraq. Lord Jesus, send the living waters on that dry land. And you start thinking about how you allocate your resources. Instead of shoveling out money on stuff that does not satisfy, I now have money that I can give to other things. And you start giving to missions. You know, let me ask you, do you guys give to, to God's purposes? Do you tithe? And I'm not trying to get your money here. I don't care. Our church is doing fine financially. But I'm just asking you, do you tithe? Do you give 10% of your income to the work of God wherever. Here in the church, we've got the missions thing coming out. You've seen these missions pledge cards. We're raising our annual missions budget. You know, do you care? Does that, that excite you? And one of the cool things is as you start to be filled up with Christ, instead of looking to fill yourself, you're now giving away. And, and when I write that missions pledge card every year, and this is kind of sick, but I'm excited about it. And, and every year I can give a little more than last year. I'm like, oh. Because I blow so much money on garbage all the time. And to be able to use my resources, financial as well, to proclaim that message to the world, come. It's, it's cool. It's great. So, you know, everything gets revolutionized when you're filled up with Christ. And instead of being hungry, miserable people, trying the world's buffet, eternally unsatisfied, we suddenly filled up with Christ and we begin sharing Him with the world. Let's close with this story. I was uh, on my way back from the conference yesterday, I, I flew into Logan and I took the red line back uh, and, uh, you know, there's no more miserable place in the world than the T. Can we just, I mean, you, you don't stay at the T, you move through the T. The T is from getting to point A to point B. It's just, it's yucky, it's dirty, it's garbage, it's just a gross place. No one's happy in the T. Everyone's just like, mm. you know, if we got rid of the T, we as New Englanders would probably brighten up a lot. Uh, it, it's just, it's a very depressing place. And I remember going down to the red line, standing there with everyone, waiting for the train, and uh, there was some dude, you know, saw some guy playing his guitar, asking for money. And, uh, but I was like listening. He had a harmonica and an acoustic, and he was singing that praise song. I'm trading my sorrows. He's just jamming away. And so I looked down. He didn't have anything open. He wasn't looking for money. He was just praising God, cranking on his harmonica. It was good. And then he sang another praise song. And, and I was like, this is so cool. Here's this guy, not looking for money. He's given out. And he's, you know, God has called him just to stand in that subway, that, that place of ultimate misery and dissatisfaction that I can think of. And, and just singing out the invitation. Trade your sorrows for, for Christ. And then he sings that line, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. And it's, you know, it's like, come on, just say yes. That's all you have to do is say yes to Christ. And that's how God wants to use us. This whole world stinks. It's a stinking subway station, morally speaking. It's a beautiful creation. But morally speaking, it stinks. And God wants us to stand and sing. To give out 
what he's put within us so that we become his heralds to tell the world, to tell people we love, to tell nations we've never heard of to come, to come to the living waters. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my bland spiritual palate and the tendency I have to stuff myself with things that are not good food and that do not satisfy and definitely do not save my soul. Help me to be drawn back to Jesus Christ, to be filled up with him. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's never come to Christ, that you would call them to yourself today, that they might say yes to you, that they might simply come and receive Jesus. Lord, I pray for uh, all of us, that you would give us a, a vision for the people of the South Shore, that you would give us a vision for the world, that you would give us a global concern as a church, that we might want to see the, the call to come extended to every tribe, people, language, nation. Lord, make us a church where the living waters pour forth out the doors into the lives of the people in this community. In the name of Christ, who is the living water. Amen. Would you stand and let's join together in singing against the stink and for the joy of the Lord. <laughs>